Let's begin with some prayer. Father, we come before you. We're so grateful, Lord, that you have given us your word, that you have provided us a way of salvation. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would fill us with hope and joy uh, as we uh, celebrate your advent into the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're continuing a Advent series uh, as we um, make our way towards Christmas Eve and, and the birth of our Savior. <clears throat> we're mixing in our uh, lighting of the Advent candles with uh, my sermon series because uh, I wanted to really take some time to celebrate the incarnation, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, then life has no meaning, really. And so I, I think that it is only uh, appropriate that we take time to enjoy uh, and to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, last week, uh, our first candle was the hope candle. Uh, looking at the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and we looked a little bit at the story of Joseph uh, when he was visited by the angels. Uh, but this morning, uh, well, I, I normally you have uh, next up is the peace candle. That, that's normally what we would be doing. Um, but I, I figured that the, um, the choice of which candles were which was kind of arbitrary and so I could change it if I wanted to. So <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to be lighting the joy candle, uh, the joy candle. And we're going to be looking a little bit at the story of Mary uh, and, and her response to what she heard from the angel and her experiences uh, surrounding this event. So uh, like I said, you can turn to Luke chapter one and <clears throat> we will start in verse 26 and we're going to go all the way to verse 56, but I'm only going to really focus on the song that Mary sings. But I want to give you the rest of this uh, narrative so that you can kind of know where we're at a little bit. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph to the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with, with her, who also was barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb left for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen. So, like I said, I, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about all of that, um, but I think it's important to see the things that happened to Mary and her response. I want to talk about how we ought to respond to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we sit here and we, we come here every Sunday morning and we receive the word, we sing the word, and oftentimes uh, it can feel almost routine. And, you know, maybe that's not always the case. I, I know that there are some Sundays that for me, when I come, it is not at all routine. It is joyful. It's exciting. Then there are other times where it's just showing up, going through the motions and doing your thing and then going home to get on with what you really want to be doing. Right. Um, <clears throat> but that is uh, that response comes from a lack of understanding of the greatness of God and of the amazing things that God has done in us and for us. Amen. If you come to church and you don't leave encouraged, joyful, and excited, then you're not paying attention or the preacher's really terrible. Uh, <laughs> so we'll go with the first one. No, no, um, <laughs> but you're, you're not paying attention because even, even if the preacher is terrible, as long as he is opening up the Bible and talking about the things that God has done, that should fill you with joy. Just the fact that God does anything should fill you with joy. Even the fact that God looks down on us should fill you with joy because God is transcendent. God is above us. God doesn't have to interact with us at all. God could just have started the world and sent it off to spin off by itself, he could have not created the world at all. But he chose to create the world, and even when humanity spat in his face and, and continues to spit in his face and turn away from him, he still loves us, interacts with us, and, and even comes to live with us. And so even if the preacher is terrible, even if the music is not what you would prefer, even if you didn't sing the song that you wanted to sing or the preacher's prayer droned on and on and on or you didn't like the certain aspects of church, you should be able to leave being amazed that God works 
that God is there, that God interacts with his people, that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live for us and to die for us and to rise again, to conquer death. Those things should sustain you through terrible church services. (laughs) Those things should sustain you through weeks that are dull and dreary. There's a song that I like where one of the lines is, it's boring when my life is more like the book of Ruth than Exodus. Right? I've never seen the parting of an ocean or a cloud by day or a pillar by night, just the normal everyday working of life where things that suck royally are evidence of his royalty. I love that, that song because it just it, it encapsulates, you know, so often we want amazing things to happen. We want these grand miracles. We want God to show his power. We want God to show up and be amazing and to blow everybody away and knock everyone off their feet. And so often that isn't how God works. Even if you look at this passage of scripture, which is an amazing miracle, what you have is probably a 14-year-old girl just getting pregnant spontaneously by the Holy Spirit and giving birth in a cave. That's pretty much what you've got in the, in the, in the narrative of, of Mary giving birth to Jesus. She, the ancient stables would have been caves. They, they would have just gone to random places and hollowed out the rock and they would have kept their animals there, maybe throw a little bit of straw in there because then they only have to fence the one side. They, yet generally speaking, they wouldn't build huge structures to house all of their animals. They generally couldn't afford that, but they could afford a cave because nobody cares. It's just a cave, right? And so it's likely that when Mary and Joseph had to stay in the barn or in the stable, that they were actually staying in a cave and giving birth among animals, filthy, nasty, smelly animals, as we learned last night (laughs) at the live nativity. You know, uh, It's not a very remarkable event. It is, but it's not. Because everyday events with God involved are remarkable. Because God is involved. Even just you getting up and reading your Bible is a remarkable event because God is involved. Because everything that God does is remarkable. The fact that God gave you his word is remarkable. The fact that God interacts with us at all is remarkable. We are not worthy. We are sinful people. We sin constantly on a daily basis. Even we come to church and we worship and we leave from here and we sin within 10 minutes of walking out the door if it even takes that long. And yet God continues with us and God speaks to us and God gives us salvation And God gives us these miracles, these tiny little miracles as evidence of his amazing glory that sustain us every single day. Giant miracles do not sustain us. The people uh, in ancient Israel walked or saw God destroy the nation of Egypt by setting plagues on them and doing these great wonders in the, in he created darkness for many days. He brought hailstones. He brought frogs. He turned the water into blood. They leave Egypt and they go through, they pass through the Red Sea on dry land. They get into the wilderness and God drops bread from heaven 
so that they never have to worry about their food. He makes water come pouring out of rocks. He leads them in a cloud by day and a pillar by night. And they get to a mountain called Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. They build a golden calf and they completely reject God. Because those big miracles don't sustain us. Big events, big, huge, crazy things will not sustain your faith. The joy of the constant relationship with God will sustain your faith. Joy is our sustaining power. Joy is what gives us the the ability to stay with God. Rejoicing in the fact that God saves a wretched sinner like you and me. That is what will sustain your faith. The more that you rely on yourself, the more that you think that you're basically a good person, the more that you think that you don't need God all that much, the harder and harder and harder it will be to sustain your faith. It won't last. Taking joy that God would save you will sustain your faith. Understanding the depths of your sin, the grace and mercy of God will sustain your faith. And that's what we see in this passage. You see Mary, who many people revere as one of the greatest people who ever lived. In talking about herself, she says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This is verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She doesn't mean, I'm so humble. (laughs) What she means when she says that is that I am not great and powerful. I am not a really impressive person. I am not, nobody would have expected God to work through Mary. A peasant girl living in Galilee. Because everybody hated everyone else who everyone who lived in Galilee. In the town of Nazareth, uh, when, it, the book of John tells us that when one of his disciples heard that he was from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And that's where Mary was from, right? That's where Mary was bo- probably born and raised. That's where her husband lived. She was uh, not wealthy. She probably wasn't of the tribe of Judah. She was probably of the wrong tribe for God to work through her. And yet... God chose her and worked through her. And when Mary realizes that God is showing her faithfulness, here's what she says. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So any idea that Mary was sinless should be thrown out right there because a sinless person doesn't need a savior. Mary needed a savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Savior, because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, all generations will call me blessed, because God has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. What are those great things? Yes, the great things that he's done for her is to make her be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a pretty amazing thing. But that's not the first thing that she goes to. That's not the first thing that she mentions when she's rejoicing in God. She doesn't say, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, the 
father of the child in my womb, who is conceived there by the power of the Holy Spirit. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because she recognizes that the greater miracle, the greatest miracle, is that God saved her. That is the greatest miracle you will ever receive, is if God saves you. Because you don't deserve it. You sin constantly. If anybody thinks that they have some goodness, they should try not to sin for a whole day. If anybody thinks that they have the power to make their life awesome, go a whole day, no sin, in thought or in action. I challenge everybody to do that for the rest of the day. And then come, to, come and tell me if you actually managed to accomplish it. And I'll tell you that you're wrong. Uh, <clears throat> my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And then she, you know, she actually never in this whole thing talks about the, the amazing powerful, miraculous thing that happened to her in that she became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. What she talks about in this whole song is how God has saved her and how God is going to save other people because she recognizes that salvation is the greatest miracle. And she is joyful because salvation is the greatest miracle. All of the, all of the things that happen, you know, she could have rejoiced as well that Elizabeth her cousin, who was old and barren, got pregnant. She could have rejoiced at that. But she didn't. She rejoiced at the greatest miracle, which is that God saves his people. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What she is talking about here is that God is not out to save people who think that they're awesome. God is not out to save people who are proud and rich and powerful. God is looking for the humble. God is looking for the humble. You know, I'm reminded um, of a story in Second Chronicles as I'm speaking this morning um, from the book of Second Chronicles chapter 33. You have uh, a king reigning in Judah and his name is Manasseh. Manasseh was the worst king that ever sat on the throne of Judah. He, this, is, this is what it said about him. He rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. He erected altars to the Baals, made Ashtaroth, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which God had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the sons of Hinnom and used fortune telling and omens and sorcery and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. 
He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol that he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house of Jerusalem, which I have chosen for the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Right? That, that's really bad. Right? Everything that Manasseh did there was really bad. He burned his own children as offerings to false gods. And then this is what it says. In verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What I want you to notice in that passage is that Manasseh humbled himself before God. What Manasseh did was recognize that he is not powerful, that he is not impressive, that he is not good, and that he has absolutely nothing if he doesn't have God. He humbles himself and God saves him. You look at this passage here where Mary is singing and what she says is, I'm humble. I have nothing. I am nothing without God. And God has made me something. He has shown strength with his arm. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and exalted those of humble estate. It's not those who are well who have need for a doctor, but those who are sick, as Jesus said. Anybody who thinks in their pride that they don't need God, God will scatter those people. And he will exalt those of humble estate who repent of their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to note that it says his people. He's, well, his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. It's talking about that. <clears throat> sorry, the point is that I'm trying to make is that God only has time for those who are humble. God will only save those who humble themselves. God will not save the proud. God will not save those who are rich and see no need for God. He is going to exalt the humble, those who turn from their sin, who repent of their sin, who recognize their depravity, who understand their need and who turn to him in faith. God does not save everyone. God only saves those of humble estate, those who turn from their sin and put their faith in God, recognizing their fallenness. And this is, the, this is the promise that he gives. You know, it says in verses 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to their fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a, a theme that occurs throughout the Old Testament. If you will humble yourself, then I will save you. 
if you continue in your pride, you are going to face problems. And you see that very clearly displayed in the story of Manasseh, where he is proud and he's serving these other gods. And so God has, God raises up adversity for him and punishes him through other people until he humbles himself and recognizes his need and turns to God. And then God restores him and God saves him. But it's only for people who turn from their pride and humbly put their faith in him. This is a theme that goes, like I said, throughout the Old Testament in all kinds of situations. There are people who never humble themselves and they die and that's it for them. And there are people who do humble themselves and they're exalted and they're brought into the family of God and they're saved. The Apostle Paul is another great example of a person who is killing Christians and who trusted in his own righteousness. And then God came out of the sky, knocked him off of his horse, struck him blind, and he recognized his need for God and preached grace more than anybody else in the Bible because he recognized his need. He recognized that his good actions could never be enough. He recognized his sinfulness. Nobody talks about their own personal sinfulness and depravity more than the Apostle Paul. He's like, I, I am the worst of sinners, right? I, he calls himself the chief of sinners, which is not a glorious title or a brag. That is him humbly saying, that's how much I need God. It's the attitude that we ought to have. It's the attitude that Mary had. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me. And you can, you can see the joy that Mary has in God. The joy that she experiences because God has saved her. So, as you go from here, and maybe have experienced a bad sermon, or a church service that was subpar, with songs that you didn't like or didn't know, you can go from here rejoicing and sustained because God has saved you. And, you know, if you're sitting here and, and you've never experienced joy because of salvation, well, there is a chance for you. And, and you can stop right here and now, recognize your depravity, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you Amen. and give you grace and peace. Peace that passes all understanding and joy that sustains you in this life. If you're constantly moving from high point to high point, you know, I, when I was in high school, before I ever got saved, I would have these great experiences. I would go to like a youth conference and it would be like everybody around me was super excited about God and it would be like this mountaintop experience. Then I would get home and I would sink into a valley and it would be some of the worst times of my life. And I would just long 
for another chance for me to go up onto a mountain. And so then camp would roll around and I would go up onto the mountain and everybody would be excited about God. And I would leave camp thinking, I am, I am going to follow God. It's going to be great. And then I get home and it all goes downhill because I was relying on the wrong thing. I was relying on the people around me. I was relying on the excitement, the emotionalism of the people around me. I was relying on these big experiences and I wasn't resting in the joy of my salvation. Well, I didn't have salvation because I had never actually repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus. And once I did that, that I can go to those events and be really excited and I can come off of those events and not sink down to the lowest lows because I have Christ sustaining me and giving me the joy of my salvation every single day. And then I get into those low points and the Lord pulls me up because of the joy of my salvation and keeps me on a steady plane. You don't want mountains because at the top of every mountain, there's the other side and you have to go down. You want planes. Flat, you can walk forever on a plane. There is no downhill. Don't rely on big, huge things in your life. Rely on the steady faithfulness of God towards you in that every single day when you sin, that sin is covered by the Lord Jesus on the cross. Amen. Rely on that and trust in that. And then you will have a Christian life that endures to the end. You might not have books written about you, but you'll have a faith that endures to the end. And I think that that is better than any experience that you could ever have. So I'm going to light the joy candle, which will remind us every week as we come here, not to put too much faith in church or preachers or big experiences and, and wonderful whatever they might be, but to rejoice in your salvation which is given to those of humble estate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you interact with us, that you give us power. You give us your power, which brings us up out of the ditch and set our feet on solid ground. Lord, I pray that you would sustain us through the highs and the lows. I pray that the joy of our salvation would sustain us in the midst of sorrows and pain, in the midst of happiness and good times, that the one constant in our lives would be the joy of our salvation because we recognize that no matter how much we sin, that as long as we repent and humble ourselves, that you will sustain Lord, I pray that this would be a constant in our lives, repenting from our sin and turning and trusting in you. I pray that we would do that every single day, not in order to attain salvation, but in order to be preserved in our salvation. We're so thankful, Lord, that you stay with us in the midst of our sin, that you walk with us, that you love us when we spit in your face and blatantly ignore your commands for us. Pray that you would convict us of our sin and that you would lead us to the cross where we can get on our knees and be covered in the blood of Jesus, which will wash away all stains. 
I pray it in Jesus' name.